0: Our scripture reading this morning should sound somewhat familiar to the kids' story. We're going to be reading from Second uh, Kings, and I'm going to be reading uh, from verses uh, 1 to 15. Second Kings chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 15. You can follow along in your bulletins. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor So Naaman went in and told his lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Far Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? As he actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of worshiping now. Thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to our hearts. We pray for your spirit's presence this morning as we look at your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, this past Tuesday night, uh, I spent my evening uh, watching the Baltimore Orioles take on the Toronto, Toronto Blue Jays in a, in a winner-take-all uh, playoff baseball game. And uh, despite the finish, it was a really good game. Uh, The game went 11 innings. The result uh, was not like, not what we had hoped for, but it still was a a very good game. Uh, But this game, like all really good games, games that kind of go into legendary status, uh, was full of all sorts of controversy. Everybody was talking about the game uh, the next day. And it was full of characters as well. Uh, If you watch the game, you'll know that one of the most interesting stories that came out of the game happened in the the later innings of the baseball game when one of uh, our outfielders uh, was just taking care of a routine fly ball. He was circling in the outfield, getting ready to catch the ball. And then uh, as he caught the ball solid into his glove, uh, one of the Toronto Blue Jay fans uh, threw a, a, a can of beer at him. And everybody immediately was up in arms over over what had happened. Thankful that it didn't disrupt the play, but they were furious about what had happened. And all of a sudden, the story of this game now had a villain. A very clear and defined villain. Immediately, everybody was up in arms over what had happened. Uh, People in Baltimore overreacted like we always do. And instead of just inciting the suspect, we were disparaging an entire country for what had happened. Uh, By Tuesday, I don't know if you noticed this, but by Tuesday, they had zoomed in from the the stands and had zoomed in on the picture of the person who had done this. And true to form, the the picture was dark and menacing. He had a scowl on him and it was just perfect because this story had now had a villain. It had become uh, more than just a game. It was a story about characters and about character development and all about drama as well. Well, this morning what I'd like to do is, is look at our story, not through a bunch of points, but I want to look at our story through characters and through character development and, and see the drama of the story that comes out as we look at the three main characters of this story. We're going to look at Elisha, the prophet, We're going to look at Naaman, and finally, we're going to look at a little girl. First of all, we see the the character of Elisha. Elisha, if you've been with us, we've been looking at stories of his life over the past couple weeks. He was one of the more significant prophets uh, in the history of Israel, God's people. He was a successor to uh, the prophet Elijah, who also did many miraculous things, and and over the past few weeks, we've seen some of the interesting things that, that he has done. We saw him part the Jordan River. We saw him uh, miraculously provide oil uh, to a widow who was in need. We have seen him raise back to life. Uh, the son of a Shunammite woman who had passed away. And and as we've looked at all these stories, we've, we've seen them to be authenticating signs that Elisha himself was God's man. He was the physical representation of the power and the presence of God for the people of Israel. And when this story opens up, we see that he is sitting in his home when he learns that uh, Naaman has come into the country. Naaman, a, a foreigner who had contracted leprosy, was approaching not just his country, but was now approaching his home. So he sends instructions out to this man, Naaman, telling him to go wash in the Jordan River. Now we don't know why Elisha didn't go out and greet Naaman himself. We don't know why he just sent instructions ahead of time. Perhaps he himself was fearful about contracting leprosy. Maybe he wanted to stay ritually clean as God's prophet according to the ceremonial law. Perhaps he was fearful of this great military leader who is now approaching his house maybe he was just in the middle of a television show that he didn't want to miss the ending to but whatever reason we don't know but he was given a simple instruction he gave a simple instruction to go out to Naaman to wash himself in the the Jordan River and of course after some cajoling Naaman followed that instruction and he was healed All the glory, all the the honor for this miracle wouldn't go necessarily to Elisha the prophet. Ultimately, everyone understood that it was the power of God working through Elisha. And this is why he refused to take all the gifts that Naaman had offered him because all the glory for what happened belonged to God and to God alone. But the role of Elisha in this story is, is kind of a flat role unlike our next character and that is the character of Naaman. The second character we see is this man Naaman. We learn that he is uh, a man of great prominence. He is a man of, of great stature. He was the, the great and, and, and highest commander of the Syrian army. And that's interesting because at this point the, the Syrian army were the, the sworn enemies of the people of Israel. In fact, I have to wonder if one of the reasons Elisha didn't go out to greet him in person was because of his hatred for the Syrians because they were just the bitter enemies of Elisha's people. The Syrians were the oppressors of the day. They would regularly go into Israelite towns and raid them, stealing their possessions and their food. And the passage even tells us that from time to time, they would even kidnap their children from them. They were hated by the Israelites. And now the commander of this enemy army is approaching the prophet, asking to be healed because he himself had contracted leprosy, his threat—his status, Naaman's status—was threatened by leprosy. This this awful skin disease that was very prevalent in the ancient world. It was horribly painful. At at one point, if you contracted leprosy, uh, your limbs could go go numb and at some point they could even fall off. And to make matters worse, uh, when you contracted leprosy, you knew that you were incredibly contagious and no one would want to be near you. To contract leprosy meant that, that you would be considered a social outcast. People wouldn't want to get close to you and they would live in fear of your presence for fear that they would contract the disease. So all of the success and the status that Naaman had accomplished in his life, the reputation that he had built all throughout his life, everything was now threatened by the presence of this debilitating disease and so what Naaman does is he exhausts every single possibility in order to be healed he hears about a prophet of Israel his enemies and decides that he must find him he must do everything that he can to find this prophet and of course, the passage tells us that he, when he found the prophet, he did not come empty-handed. Verse five says that so went says this. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. This would have been uh, just an unbelievable, uh, exorbitant amount of wealth and resources. Some people think that if you were to, to, to measure this in modern terms, this would have been the equivalent of about 700 pounds of silver and 125 pounds of gold. An incredible amount of wealth was on the table that Naaman brought with him. You see, Naaman was doing, every th- the, doing the very thing that everyone else would have done in his situation. You see, he had prophets in his own country. And what he knew is that when he, need, when he approached prophets, when he had to go before his own prophets, he would have to bring his reputation. He would have to bring the fact that he was an important person. He would have to bring his, his wealth in order to bribe the prophets of his own country. He would have to, to stiff arm them, to extort them in order to bring about the thing that he wanted, in order to, to get the gods to act. In in his favor and so this is what Naaman does with Elisha he comes before Elisha with his reputation and his wealth and his resources he brings all those things to the table so that Elisha's God would bring healing to him he comes before God yes with his need but he also comes before him with his pride This is why Naaman, he gets so insulted when Elisha doesn't come to actually see him in person. Elisha simply instructs Naaman to go wash in the Jordan River so that all of Naaman's reputation and status and wealth at the end of the day meant nothing to Elisha. These instructions infuriated the prideful Naaman and he walks away angry And finally, a servant comes to him and pleads with Naaman and speaks some sense into him. And in that moment, his need overcomes his pride. He washes himself in the Jordan River and he is healed. Friends, one of the things that the gospel is very clear about is that each and every one of us also approach God with great need. We haven't contracted some sort of physical disease that threatens our life, but we have contracted an incredibly deadly spiritual disease. The gospel is clear that each and every one of us are born with a stain of sin and that stain and the daily fruit of it in our lives condemns each and every one of us to a spiritual death. Sin has made each one of us spiritual outcasts who are estranged from God and there is a deep sense inside all of us that this is not the way things ought to be there's a deep longing inside of each one of us that desires to be healed but friends often when we approach God for healing we often approach him just the way Naaman did we come before him in our pride We come before him bringing our spiritual resume. God, look at all the good things that I've done. I'm not really that bad of a person. At least my good deeds outweigh all of my bad deeds. Or we come before God with all of our promises If you heal me, I promise to be a better person. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll give more money to church or to charity. I'll try to kick that habit that I can't seem to kick. You see, all of these things are attempts to maintain our pride in the presence of God. This is why I deserve to be healed, God. All these things are our own attempts to stiff arm or to extort or to bribe God into some sort of action but at the end of the day he will hear none of it because the only path to God is the path of humility. It's all about recognizing Jesus' spiritual resume and despairing of our own spiritual resume. It's about recognizing that our need far outweighs any sort of resources that we could offer to God because the path of healing is one of desperation. It is humbly recognizing the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. That word grace that you hear a lot about in churches is a very simple word that means unmerited favor. You see, our pride wants God's merited favor. He wants God's favor because we deserve it. But the path of healing only comes through humility. It comes through the recognition that there's no way that we can earn our way back to God. That we ultimately need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives each day. You see, Naaman needed to find that humility in order to find physical healing. And the same is true of you and I. Humility is the path of grace that leads to healing. In the end, we it had nothing. To, we have to do nothing. Instead, all we need to do is receive that gift of grace. And once we receive that healing, it translates into worship. There's this great verse that's easy to miss in the passage that talks about Naaman uh, going before uh, Elisha saying, can I take some of the soil of this land of Israel back with me? And what the passage tells us is he went back to Syria. He spread that soil and that was the soil that he knelt down each day and worshiped the true and living God. Friends, humility leads to grace Grace leads to healing, and healing leads to worship. So we've seen the story through the eyes of Elisha. We've seen the story through the eyes of Naaman. But finally, we see the the story through the eyes of one more character. And she may be the hero of this story. We see it through the eyes of a little girl. Because all this would have never happened if it weren't for a little girl. Says in verse two. Now the Syrians, uh, now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria; he would cure him of his leprosy." Imagine just for a minute what life would have been like for this little girl who was carried away in this raid. Most likely as a child she had been kidnapped from everything that had felt familiar to her. She was ripped from her family and from her friends. She was introduced to a life of slavery and oppression. She was as low as she could be in the social hierarchy of a foreign land. She had no way of, sca- of escape. She had no way of returning to that which was so precious to her. And to make matters worse, she had to be the servant in the home of the man who was most responsible for her slavery. He was the one that was most responsible, the commander of the army for the place that she had been in. I don't know about you, but my reaction would have been to to secretly hate my oppressor, to secretly harbor bitterness and to do everything that I could to, to subtly stick it to my oppressors, but not this little girl. She knew of God's power from a very young age. And with boldness, when the time came, she pointed her enemies to the path of healing. And because of her faithfulness, one of the most influential men in one of the most powerful militaries of the day was healed. And he was now a worshiper of the one true God. Friends, her story is a reminder that one small witness has incredible ripple effects. Friends, every day you and I are invited to give small witness to the power of God in our lives. And that small witness always has ripple effects. I read an article uh, this week in uh, an, a journal and the, uh, the, the article was about a research project called the Halo Project and in this uh, project the research examined what impact the presence of churches had in cities and uh, in the regions that surrounded cities and what it did is it studied the impact of churches in the city of Toronto over an eight-month period. And what it found was this. The results showed that churches don't just shine a light on their members, but that their activities have a halo effect that sheds light and gold on the rest of the city. How much? The study estimates a cumulative economic impact approximately $45 million. It suggests that churches are far more important to what makes a good city than what most would suggest. And as I read that, I thought of this story. I was reminded of the fact that our faithful presence, your faithful presence, my faithful presence, our small witness has great ripple effects. That your healing, that your worship, inevitably leads to the welfare not just of your life but to the welfare of communities and cities you see the faithful presence of a little girl brought Naaman to the presence of God in the person of Elisha and there he found healing well friends the presence of God is made perfect in the person of Jesus Christ He is the only one true source of healing. So don't approach him with your pride. Instead, know that humility is the only way to approach him. It's the great hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So friends, cling to the cross of Jesus and find healing for your souls You'll be introduced to a life of worship and a life of mission where your faithful presence, your small witness, has profound influence in our culture, in our city, and in our world. Let's pray.